Hey everyone, welcome to Recovering You. This is a podcast that will take you through a step-by-step guide of what you can expect when you enter into a world of recovery from addictive and compulsive behaviors. You are here to learn how to change, and we are here to give you the tools to get there. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Recovering You. I'm your host, Cameron Harrison. And unfortunately, and it's such a bummer, I, I, due to my own mistake and miscommunication, I messed up the time and Chris, who's normally my co-host, was unable to join us because he had family obligations and I told him the wrong time. So uh, that that one goes up on my, uh, my fault board, but... I'm still so excited for the conversation we're going to have tonight. We mentioned in our episode last week that we were going to have a special guest on, and I I could not think of a bigger rock star or a more passionate individual about recovery. And basically the, I mean, he created life-changing services, came up with the chemical scale and has, actually, I I don't know if came up with is the right word, but I'm going to let him word it a lot better. Uh, because I, I still have so much to learn, even though I've been in the program for over three years, there, there's still so much left for me to learn. And every time I go through these steps and go through these lessons that I mentor for now, I'm still learning more and more and the inspiration keeps coming. And I'm just honored and humbled and astounded to be joined by Maurice Harker today. Um, Maurice is also the author of Like Dragons Did They Fight, and as I mentioned before, the, the creator of Life-Changing Services. So I, I would love to uh, have Maurice come on and just introduce himself a little bit, a, a quick little bio of uh, what your background is and kind of how you started Life-Changing Services. Jeez, Cameron, you make it sound like I'm a big deal. Yeah, you're a huge deal. <laughs> okay. First of all, I need to make it very clear that I'm not a big deal. I need to explain why I'm saying that, okay? Because it's really important for anyone who wants to be a servant of God to understand that God prefers to start with people who are not a big deal. You take Joseph Smith, and even the way Christ came into the world, he was not a big deal. And as I was reviewing the Come Follow Me lesson uh, uh, from this last week with our spiritual psychology masterclass, um, Enoch did not feel like a big deal. And when Satan tries to tell me, uh, by the way, if you haven't forgotten, you're Mr. Potato Boy from Idaho, because I am the third child of a nobody family from nowhere land, Idaho. My parents both graduated from Shelley High, whose mascot is the russet potato. And so when you're the middle child of a family like that, while most of my brothers, uh, eight of them, are somewhat ambitious, my wife reminded me when I married her that ambition is um, is in comparison to others. Like, it doesn't take that much to be cooler than other people in Idaho. (laughs) (laughs) now no offense to everybody else okay but i had that put me in perspective and so a little bit of my background is i am a third child of nine my parents are hard-working natives of idaho they are skilled at doing good and they pass that on to me so work ethic comes from them um i was good in school at basic academic stuff not top level stuff you know b minus student I was a decent athlete, 
I was a decent musician. And when they sent me to inner city Detroit as a missionary, I could be classified as a decent missionary. And one of the greatest blessings of my mission in inner city and outer city Detroit was that I didn't get to teach people very much. Um, never thought of that as a blessing, but what it did is when you have no girlfriends, no parents, no brothers, no sports, no music, no movies, and no one to teach, you're stuck walking for hours a day alone with God. Hmm. And because your companion is not that interesting after 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> As most young men aren't at that age. Um, so that's when I started. And, and a very game-changing experience for me as a missionary, which might be a little different than the stereotypical version, was when a sincere investigator asked Elder Harker, what does this stuff have to do with real life issues? And my amazing 19-year-old answer was, I have no idea. <laughs> and my humiliation in that moment continues to spur me to seeking relevant psychological application of eternal principles. That was the beginning of my work. So, so what, what should when the, I, like, if you could go back to that conversation and change the answer, what, <laughs> what would the answer be? Uh, don't have time for that today. <laughs> Maybe on another day we'll have that conversation because in reality, almost all of my work is now the answer to that. Right. Elder Christiansen in the spring conference a year ago, 2021, he said with a little urgency, we need more bridges between science and spiritual concepts. Um, that has been my goal for 30 years, to find bridges between religious principles, or now I call them eternal principles, and scientific concepts. And first, I was seeking to apply them to myself because I started seeing that I had issues that were keeping me from having healthy relationships. I had issues. And so my first goal was to serve myself, to get my head on straight before I got a wife. I didn't want to ruin that and become a statistic. What surprised me when I became a therapist was the work I had done for the 10 years between um, seeking a wife and becoming a therapist was that the principles were applicable to everyone. I didn't know that psychology as found in gospel principles and the words of the prophets was true across the board. So all of the self-mastery issues I was dealing with turned out to be the same ones everyone else is dealing with. And so this brought me to, in one of my very early therapy sessions, I was trying to help a client understand why they, a person with good values, who was smart and capable would behave contrary to their value system. They were sincere. They were nervous because it was affecting their marriage. And so I had practiced, what do I know about me when I behave against my value system? And by then, my understanding of brain chemistry, cognitive processes, satanic involvement, all came together and brought the satanic spin and the chemical scale. I taught it in a single therapy session, thinking it was a one-time lesson. And then it just kept repeating. 
and wow. became the core of some of the basic concepts. Wow. And, and for me personally, I think that is the thing that really not just drew me in, but kept me in the program. Cause I've been through, I've, I, I've personally been through other programs where there just wasn't that desire to keep going back. And what I loved about life-changing services going into those meetings was not only the, um, the better understanding that I was not alone in what I was going through with my problem, but I was not alone in understanding that there had to, there had to be more behind it than the fact that I was just a sinner that couldn't stop watching pornography. There, there had to be that, like, I kept telling people, I, there's something wrong with me, but nobody, you know, people would just say, just stop. You know, you, you got to just, yes. you got to stop looking at, you got to stop making those mistakes. And that's what I loved about life-changing services was they said, no, no, it's, it's not just that you have a compulsion to watch these things. It's why there's a compulsion. And it's that there's science and chemistry behind what's going on. I, I join you in that frustration from those around us. I even had someone start an argument with me over, it's an illness <clears throat> and it was on social media, so I didn't take the time to continue the argument because the complexity is so much beyond that. Right. And when I interview graduates of the programs and I say, what was the game-changing principle for you? What was the concept that made all the difference? They said, once I realized that there was a strategic, intelligent enemy that is not me, that's when I gained momentum. That's when my confidence grew that's when I was ready to play ball because now I knew it's not me I get interviewed by people from the outside who've never been through the program and they start asking me questions like what's the magic trick like why do these men and young men come out of your meetings with enthusiasm and excitement <laughs> and intensity because every time people walk out of an AA meeting or a 12 steps meeting they're almost hiding they're pulling the hood over their eyes and they're like embarrassed and afraid someone's going to catch them but I, I i get this all the time from mothers of the sons of human they come to pick their kid up after his first session and all the guys are out in front of the building high-fiving each other and goofing off and laughing and That's coming awesome. up to the mom and saying hi are you the mom of so-and-so like, <laughs> um i thought you guys would be awkward and embarrassed but when you understand that we are in a war and we are warriors and the Book of Mormon completely validates the whole concept of being at war. When you're in a room full of comrades and fellow warriors, the enjoyable energy, which is the complete opposite of the humiliation and shame that comes with hiding and addiction of a sexual nature. It's so enjoyable to be amongst fellow warriors. I, I still remember the first meeting I went to where I, I walked into there with my head bowed in shame and feeling, you know, like, like this is going to be like every other program that I had been to. And I remember the guy across from me saying, I have sat where you have sat and hung my head the way that you're hanging your head and felt the shame that you are feeling. And I'm so excited to see you turn into me and what I have found through this program and the excitement that I feel about my recovery. And to me, that was just wow. such a, a crazy idea that not only could I recover, but that I could have positivity and energy and optimism and hope through all this. And I was, I was definitely one of those guys out in the front of that building, chatting with other guys, <laughs> high-fiving and just uh -huh. reveling in the fact that like, guys, we're changing. Like, 
this is happening. This is real. This isn't just a, a hopeless endeavor anymore. So yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely, I love that, that, that you pointed that out. Very so, good. Very good. Um, so what we, topic should I focus on today? Well, yeah, well, you mentioned, we mentioned a little bit about, you know, what's, that, that it's more than just this, um, I, I have a desire to watch pornography, that there's something going on in the brain and that it's this, this chemical um, imbalance that's going on. And so I really want to focus on this chemical scale that you've created in the picture that you've painted for other people to be able to understand what is happening inside their brain that gives them that hope to understand like, hey, I, I can overcome this. I can start to repave those highways and make things better than they were before and actually heal that I don't just have to white knuckle for the rest of my life, but that I can actually change for the better permanently. Sure, sure. Let's walk through that. So, um, and by the way, um, it's not hard for people to figure out that I have my own history of sexual self-mastery issues, which makes this, all these concepts very relatable to me. So it's not like I'm some scientist that sat there going, I'm going to think of ways to fix other people. Right. Okay. This is stuff that I've been through. I understand it. I know what it feels like. And so for me, it's not about bragging about a really cool concept I found. It's the relief that we found the concept. It's the comfort. Like we got it. We found the weapon. We got the tools. Now we just have to pass them out to everybody so they can use them. Yeah. Okay. So it starts with this phenomena that each one of us experience where we feel the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde uh, bizarre sensation. Every one of you who are listening to this can remember the one moment in time when you've just finished having a spiritual experience, you have done rituals that bring your value system to the surface, you're clear, you're sharp, you're focused, you're committed, bishops tell me about this where they are sitting across from someone they feel the spirit of commitment from this person and it's legitimate it's not fake people think well it must not have been real because it didn't last then for any of you who've uh, been on this journey where uh, in some future day sometimes in less than six hours sometimes in six days we are crazy we are like I have no idea why I would ever commit to anybody to not do this stuff. I like being stupid. I like being a pervert. I love acting against my value system. What's what about my wife? She'll be fine. I know she promised me she would leave me, but she hasn't left me before. And if you took a recording of that conversation, it sounds insane. Yeah. And so you got one minute that you're a genius brilliant inspired and then another minute when when you're a complete idiot and then people ask me which one's the real version of them which one's the real me and because i've studied the spiritual understanding of psychology the real you is the one with the higher values the real you is the one that is at what we call level zero when your brain is not being afflicted by chemicals as you study the brain your energy is in your frontal lobe and some cultures even put the red dot on their forehead to represent the spirit resides right here above my eyes and so it's not just our own culture that believes the spirit can be inside the body our own spirits um we're, we're not unique to that concept and so 
when you are functioning from your frontal lobe, it is when you're not being influenced by psychologically distorting chemicals. And if you measure the brain chemistry in that moment, it's not a flick. Let's contrast that with if you're sitting there with a friend at a park and you're having a deep frontal lobe style conversation and then a tiger jumps out of the bushes, you will experience an involuntary chemical response that tells your brain to quickly transfer the processing energy from your frontal lobe to your animal brain. And your system will quickly move into a fight flight response and you will completely forget about what you're working on. So it's a, it's, a, it's a gift from God that our brains can quickly move from higher functioning to animal level functioning if our lives are threatened. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. So unfortunately, the fight flight because I'm about to be eaten by a tiger is not the only animal brain process that a chemical can launch us, okay? You have something uh, more simple, um, less life-threatening. If you're a teenager and you want to be funny uh, in a jerk-type way, you and your buddy sitting there in math class, getting there a few minutes early, your third buddy shows up a little bit late. And just for fun, you say, are you ready for the test today? <laughs> okay. And he goes, what? And he has a chemical reaction that floods his animal brain. And just for fun, you say, just kidding. There's no test today. Now, if these were scientific teenagers, they would say, we just wanted you to have an involuntary chemical reaction to what we said. Because <laughs> that's how teenagers okay. talk. Exactly. But imagine if the friend did not have a chemical reaction to their joke. It would be boring. That would, that's not funny. One of the reasons I'd spend a few minutes on this theme is because I want all the listeners to, to understand that when someone is fighting a sexual addiction, they are not experiencing something different from what you would experience. Because having the involuntary slam of chemical shifting in your brain because a tiger jumped out of the bushes is very similar to when a sexually provocative thing enters the brain and it creates an involuntary sexual chemical response, which is also animal level. And so when someone on the outside doesn't, who doesn't understand it says, why do you want to have this chemical response? A person fighting an addiction or even someone who's not fighting an addiction. I was in a room full of bishops not too long ago and I asked, how many of you experience involuntary sexual responses to women you're not married to on a regular basis? There's nobody from your ward here to judge you for it. And every bishop raised his hand and said, I do experience unwanted involuntary sexual responses to women I'm not married to. Hmm. So this is not an addict issue. This is a human experience. Right. So that is one of the most important concepts to understand if you're going to understand the chemical scale, because the chemical scale is a discussion of the walk down a incremental path of your chemicals in your brain getting gradually distorted because that description I just gave you about the tiger in the bushes is only one chemical reaction in the brain. Right. Imagine a hundred 
chemical reactions that layer themselves until the brain gets really confused and is just like an alcoholic who's drank too much and can't think straight. Right. All right. So do you feel like we've established the concept of the initial chemical experience? Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember reading an example that I, I believe you wrote in like Dragons Did They Fight about um, someone who is driving their car and they're obviously yeah. speeding and they go past a cop and that immediate uh -huh. like fear response that they start checking their rearview mirror, they're, they're on hyper awareness and they're checking to see if that cop is going to flip on the lights. And if that cop does and comes after them immediately, you know, that, that chemical dump that happens and the anxiety and the fear. But then you mentioned someone um, uh, about who maybe from like from Africa, a foreign who's, country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who's never dealt with police. They get pulled over by cops. They're, they're not going to have any sort of response to that because it's not really going to click in their head that that's something they should be worried about. So the part that is disturbing is this experience just by natural means, tiger jumping out of the bushes right. type of thing is disturbing in and of itself. Yeah. But ever since we learned, and thanks to our spiritual leaders who get revelation, people we call prophets, we not we not not only know that the Holy Ghost can put ideas into our head, but what if Satan understood the science of this? And just like the guys in the math class who intentionally chose to say something that would cause a chemical reaction, what if Satan is strategic about saying things that are designed to cause chemical reactions in our brains? What if he does it on purpose? Right. What if he does it strategically? And what if he's not kidding? Okay. That, that'd be that idea <laughs> all by itself, because I get the whole idea of Satan's mean, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea that he could possibly be a biochemical warrior specialist. Okay. We're all scared of biochemistry war. Okay. But to know that one follows you around invisibly and is saying things to cause the chemical reaction of depression. Yeah. is saying things to cause the chemical reaction of anxiety to cause involuntary self-hatred involuntary sexual response fun <laughs> it does, and when does not make for a good when you job. realize and when you realize that's just the beginning right okay i want people to experience what captain mormon experienced at the end of the book of mormon to feel a little soberness about what we're up against yeah but let's remember don't get depressed. As was said in the Old Testament, those that be with us are more than those that be with them. It will exactly. be a bloody war, but we can win. Absolutely. Um, right, so, should so we move we, on or do you? Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I, yeah, I, I love the way that you, that you um, described that and, and broke that down. I thank you for that. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about how quickly the brain goes from zero to 60, whether it's a tiger jumping out at you, whether it's seeing cop lights in your rearview mirror, our bodies can dump those chemicals really quick. So how do I know or how does someone figure out where they are at on that chemical scale, wh whether they are in full fight or flight mode, whether, you know, maybe just something has triggered them and how does one get from they don't realize something is wrong until they are basically looking up Late. inappropriate websites and going against their value system. And, and how do you back up to where you recognize, okay, hold on, something is wrong. I've obviously been triggered by something. So before I even go down that slippery slope, 
I can now put up my defenses. I know what tools to use. Uh, so how do, how do we build ourselves up to be sure. better warriors in that way? Now, before I answer that question, I want to put your question in perspective, okay? okay? How do I recognize what's coming at me? How do I recognize what kind of things Satan's bringing my way? I want you to imagine that you just decide one day to take up the sport of baseball. Yeah, I like baseball. That sounds like fun. Sure. Okay. And so you decide to uh, uh, go to your nearest professional baseball team and you decide, I'm just going to walk up into that little white box right there and have that professional pitcher throw a few pitches at me. <laughs> at a hundred miles an and hour? At a hundred, well, maybe only 97. Okay. Maybe he's not quite that fast. Okay. okay? And I'm going to be able to tell you if it's a curveball, a slider, a fastball, or a knuckleball, because I am ready to play ball. <laughs> okay? Because last time I heard, Satan is still in the dark ages with the way he attacks people. Right. So he's just going to launch a nice little softball my direction, and I'll be able to discern exactly what's coming my way. Right? It is important that you get a testimony of your opponent. You are not dealing with a beginner. You are dealing with a 7,000-year-old, at least, psychological genius who can throw temptation at you as fast as a 95-mile-an-hour curveball, and he can do change-ups on you. So how long does it take to get good at recognizing what kind of pitches coming your way? How many pitches do you have to watch with precision and skill to recognize a temptation at that level? The reason we have training systems like Menomroni is because you must be trained. You can't just tell someone, oh, by the way, curveballs, sliders, knuckleballs, and change-ups, you're good to go. That's not how beating Satan works. Right. I meet lots of people who hope that's how it works. Just let me read a book and I'll be good to play baseball. So I get lots of guys, can I just read your book and be good? I'm all, can you read a book on baseball and learn how to hit a 60 or 90 mile an hour curveball? Nope. Nope. <laughs> okay. Are you insulting me because you think I'm not smart? No, I'm being realistic. Right. Then let's add the spiritual, scriptural concept of the serpent was the most subtle of all the beasts of the field. Do you really think he's going to make it obvious what kind of pitch he's throwing at you? Of course not. Okay. So. I want you to be sober and humble, all you listeners, on what it actually takes to discern what's coming your way and responding to it with accuracy, skill, precision, and strength, okay? You're welcome to get the Like Dragons Did They Fight book. We'll make sure there's a link here so you can download it for free. Yep. You can just go to likedragonsfree.com and get it. I think it's the same thing, likedragonsfree.org, okay? And start reading it. But when you get to that point that says, I'm not going to be able to figure this out without some training, join the rest of us. <laughs> okay. Welcome to being real human. Okay. Now, there's a few things that can be done with practice to improve your ability to recognize what's coming at you. So first, it's nice to know that there are different types of pitches or there are different types of satanic attacks. So I'm going to walk you slowly down the chemical scale to give you a, a brief introduction to what each level feels like so you can start to identify, oh, I'm at a level one. Oh, I'm at a level two. I'm at a level three. I'm level four, level five. But remember, this is just a brief orientation 
that will not give you the skill to win the battle. It'll just, it's just an introduction. Then I'll take you back through an exercise that will help you start to get good at it. All right. So it's best done, write, get out a piece of paper and write down zero, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Now the actual chemical scale goes all the way to 10, but we don't spend much time talking about six to 10 because that's when you're so blitzed in the brain that it doesn't really matter what happens. This is why we never need to talk about what people actually do wrong because you don't fix it by discussing the actual misbehavior. Right. You fix it by discussing all the predecessors. So next to never, number five, put the phrase shutdown moment or give up moment. So for all of you who actually do experience behaving contrary to your value system, now those of you who go, I would never do anything sexually inappropriate, let's talk about going to the gym on Monday morning. This concept applies to anybody who makes commitments to themselves and then doesn't follow through on them. So if you commit to yourself that you are going to go to the gym on Monday morning at 6 a.m. and you don't, your brain just went through the same process that a porn addict's brain just went through. Okay, Ooh. so you're just like us. Okay? <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the party of <laughs> what it means to misbehave contrary to your value system. Now, some of you always go to the gym and you never look at porn. I only yell at my children. Have you ever committed not to, but broke the commitment? What about spending your tithing money on something else? Pick anything that you have broken a commitment to yourself on and you have lost a battle. So think about that, not the other guy who has a problem. Okay. So all of us, when we reach level five, it's that moment of time where we give up the fight. If it's going to the gym at six in the morning, it's 537 and you're like, ah, it wouldn't be that good of a workout anyway. Crash. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that was a dumb idea to commit to that in the first place. Crash. Okay. It's the last thing you say right before you stop fighting. For an addict, eh, I lost my battle yesterday. Who cares if I lose another battle today? It's not like my wife's going to be less mad at me today than she was yesterday. So what difference does it make? Or a really good religious one, Jesus is so forgiving, if I sin one more time, he'll forgive me again. Oof. <laughs> okay. I, I, we get I, to hear I may have heard these. that in my head a time or two. <laughs> you you might have heard that one before. That, that one may have, uh, actually a lot of what you just said may have popped up in my head throughout yeah. the years. Yeah. Just so you know, you're the only one. None I, of us. I know, and that's such a bummer. That that I'm, I'm the only one that struggles with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we call that the level five. And so I invite you listeners to write down what you hear in your head when your brain stops fighting for success on your thing. Okay, now let's walk up the chemical scale to level four. Level four is that amazing conversation we have in our heads where we're debating whether or not to live up to our value system. It sounds like this if you're one of those gym people. You know, I can always start tomorrow. That would be fine. It's not going to ruin anyone's life for me to skip a day. Oh my gosh. Why do people make a big deal out of this stuff in the first place? It's important to get your sleep even more than it is to go to the gym. We used to call this in my younger days, the retarded conversation, but that's socially inappropriate and politically incorrect. So the actual scientific definition is the irrational conversation. 
I like to think of it as a room full of people who have been drinking alcohol, trying to make decisions together. <laughs> okay. No, really, Bob, I think we should do this. Okay. I don't know. Right, so, I don't know, man. Sometimes I call it the two drunks trying to decide who's going to drive home conversation. Oh, yeah, there you go. That, that's it. That's a good depiction. I got an idea. Let's take turns every mile. And the first one to run into a telephone pole will know that was the wrong guy. He was more drunk. You know, that's a good plan, Bob. Let's go with that. Okay. So the sad thing is every one of us can find that type of conversation in our brain. That's level four. Right. Okay, let's talk about level three. When it comes to sexual self-mastery, if I'm working with a couple and I've got a husband and wife in my office, I turn to the wife and I say, this might shock you, but men do not actually think about sex all the time. Sometimes we don't. And most wives go, really? <laughs> And you should see the husband's neck is almost breaking as he's not. Yeah, sometimes I'm not a pervert. <laughs> sometimes I have sophisticated thoughts. It happens from time to time. It does. And so the men love it when I introduce that concept. The women are always skeptical. They're like, oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. So the reason I make a big deal out of this is Level three is the moment in time where the conversation, the brain goes from non-sexual things to sexual things that are outside the value system. Now I've had people say all sex chemistry is bad. No, there's a distinct difference. And every married man, every man who's actively participated in healthy sexuality, there's a very clear difference in body chemistry when you're looking forward to a sexual encounter with your wife versus a sexual encounter by yourself. Can I get an amen from the audience on that one, okay? Amen. And so we use the term deviant sex chemistry to refer to that chemical mix that has you going to stupid land, which is very different. Now, if you've never been a sex addict, you're not gonna know what we're talking about, okay? But for all of us who've been sex addicts, we know that looking forward to or moving in the direction of or participating in a healthy sexual interaction with your spouse has a very different feel to it chemically than to play games by yourself. Okay, so it's a different chemical set. Well, I want to make sure that's clear. Okay. So, so, so in some of the meetings, and and uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. We we refer to this as the uh, the dude moment. Where I mean, a, a good example in uh, my personal life was I could be doing totally fine. And everything would be great and hanging out with my wife and kids. And she would say, hey, I need to run to the store for 30 minutes to get some stuff. I'll be right back. You know, I'll, I'll see you in a little bit. Okay, kiss goodbye. Mm -hmm. The door closes. You hear the lock click. And immediately that, that little voice in your head goes, you know, while she's gone, mm -hmm. we, Dude, we could grab we the computer could. real quick. Mm -hmm. So scientists call this the trigger moment. Okay. Religionists call this the temptation moment. We call it the dude moment because most men here, dude, we dude. could, you know. Dude, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. It would be really cool. Okay. It would be awesome. Now, if you're a normal guy, 
as you get pushed into level four, you have a little bit of an argument left still inside of you going like, no, no, man, that was dumb last time. Like I got into trouble last time or <laughs> like, I don't think that's such a good idea. And really there's lots of scenes of like junior high and high school kids talking to each other about, you know, jumping off of bridges into rivers or, you know, a bungee jumping uh, with too short of a bungee. And you always have the guy saying, dude, you should totally do that. <laughs> dude, it'll be awesome. It'll be epic. Okay. And then you have the other guy going, I don't know, man. I don't know. This just doesn't seem like a good idea. So that conversation is level four. So the level three is a single moment. Level four is a span of time that could be a half a second or a week. Yeah, I've interviewed guys that have had the irrational conversation for like a week. I, I think it'll be fine, man. Oh, and I don't know, man. Maybe, dude, just hold on a second. Let me finish this meeting at work. And as soon as you walked out, now let's talk about that some more. You're like, oh, dude. Guys who have affairs, they get that for like weeks. It's Maybe we can find a way to hide it. So all of you, check yourself. If you're not a sex addict, the first time you get the idea of not going to the gym, dude, we don't have to go to the gym today. We don't? No, it's Monday. Everybody knows that if you're going to skip a day, Monday's the day to skip. It is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It's kind of like a tradition. <laughs> okay. okay. Now, the last time you yelled at your kids, that was bad. But this time, they need it. We can all agree on that. Okay. And if you interview 100 guys, 95 of them will tell you that was the right thing to do. That kid needed to be yelled at. In fact, we should beat him just a little bit, like your dad do it to you, because that's good. Look how good you turned out, because your dad beat you sometimes. Oh, man. <laughs> any, of this, any of this sound familiar to anybody out there? <laughs> how does he know what I'm thinking? Oh. It's only because we've all been there, done that. Okay. Level two. Now, this is a little harder to explain because level two and level one are so subtle, most men don't notice them. Let me give you some evidence of that. When was the last time you sat down with one of your buddies and said, dude, I had a shift in my feelings the other day and I'm processing what that feeling felt? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because just... 98% of men will never have that conversation. <laughs> uh-huh. I was noticing a slight shift in my brain chemistry and I was trying to figure out what was causing it. We don't usually have that conversation. And so as I was studying satanic attacks, most of what we've been taught as men is watch your thoughts, watch your thoughts, watch your thoughts. Level three is a clear representation of a thought shift. But as I've studied the military mindset of Satan, he's learned you have to massage their brain and move them gradually, like poisoned by degrees, away from their frontal lobe before you introduce the idea of a misbehavior. Otherwise, he'll just say, no, thank you. Nope, not going to do that. Mm, ain't going to happen. You have to compromise his thinking the same way the brain can be compromised, compromised by a few drinks. Not enough to make you drunk, just a few drinks to um, have you, what do they call it now, um, uh, under the influence. Yeah, get a little buzzed. Mm -hmm. 
Now, most of us don't think of feelings as a chemical experience, but the human brain can't have feelings unless there's a chemical change. There has to be a shift and don't ask me which chemicals because it's too complicated. There's a little more of this, a little more of that when we experience anxiety. There's some more of this chemical and less of that chemical. There's some electrical things that are taking place in the brain. So it, I've learned with my clients, they don't need to know the names of the chemicals. They need to know what it feels like. Okay. Okay. So level two is when your feelings become strong enough to compromise your thinking process. It's like, I'm getting so mad at this kid, dot, 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 or my wife is so uncooperative, dot, dot, dot. I'm so irritated. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so agitated. I'm so disturbed that dot, dot, dot. And so when I break down someone's process, I will find like 10 to 30 or more individual thoughts that increase the sensation. Here's an example. Um, you pull up in your driveway and you see toys on the grass. Oh my gosh, the kids haven't put the toys away. Then you realize the weeds in the flower bed have not been pulled. I've got to get to that this weekend. Okay. Then you see a broken rain gutter. Jeez, you open your garage and Christmas has not been put away yet. <laughs> okay. And it's March. You, you need All to right. get out of my head right now, Maurice. <laughs> this is like, okay. oh, this is me, 100%. So I keep going. It's all of us. Okay. Now, I have learned that demons watch us enough to isolate our Achilles heel emotions. So if you are prone to overwhelm or anxiety, he'll just kind of beat that drum and just keep layering it. Okay. If you're prone to depression, he can do the same type of thing where he goes, the skateboards are still on the driveway because you suck as a dad. The stuff's not put away in the garage because you can never get organized enough. So he can either tilt it towards anxiety, he can tilt the exact same thing over to depression. And then he just kind of plays with it. Anxiety and depression are the big umbrella emotions. Right. So overwhelm and fear can be under anxiety. Um, Hopelessness and um, uh, desperation could be under uh, depression. And so every time one of those thoughts hits the brains, we have another chemical reaction that moves us down the chemical scale that increases our vulnerability to the invitation or the temptation or the trigger at level three. Yeah, okay. in, in, in group, we call this the emotional battle. And, and this is something that I think is mm -hmm. one of the most relatable things amongst all people is like, I mean, have you ever gotten emotional? Okay, you've experienced a level two battle. You've experienced an emotional mm -hmm. battle. Um, just, just the other Perfect. night, I was I pulled up in the church parking lot to drop my kids off at activity days. And one of my buddies was there. And, and it's funny that you mentioned the conversation earlier about, you know, men don't really talk about their shift in feelings. But my buddy mm -hmm. was standing there and I got out of the car and said, hey, and he said, how you doing? And because of what I've learned to adapt to and what I've learned in tools and everything, I looked at him and said, honestly, I'm not really doing okay. I'm, I'm really struggling with a lot of anxiety about this upcoming event. And 
hit and and I was I felt safe sharing this with him because he's been vulnerable with me before too about some of his feelings. And so instead of going home after dropping my kids off for the next hour, we had this amazing conversation that we validated each other's feelings and we were there for each other and like we we shared a bro hug at the end. And again, this is something that a lot of guys don't do or they go, oh, I'm not going to share my feelings. I'm too manly for that. But because mm-hmm. of this conversation, it, it zeroed me out. It took me down to where I was in a safe place emotionally and spiritually. Well done. Well done. Okay. So um, with a little bit of practice, a man can actually get decent at this process of uh, chemical level awareness and I we keep pushing that concept of if all you think of it is as feelings awareness you won't see the urgency of it you're like okay so what's the point because the more chemically altered you are the more vulnerable you are for a level three attack it's life and death for your value system to see what's happened because if you ignore it you'll just slide right into a three down to a four five and then lose a battle remember we're we're comparing this to the pitches of a professional baseball player right the whole process can happen quickly but just like a professional batter you can be trained to identify what kind of pitches coming at you in less than one second you can adjust your reaction to it in less than one second and respond successfully with accuracy strength and power to win that momentary battle of a pitch coming at you and you hitting it over the fence but can can i jump on that for just a second and share one uh little thing so it, it makes me think of the guy who goes up to the mound and has been struck out every single time and walks back to the dugout and the coach goes why are you smiling he goes didn't you see i got a piece of that third pitch and the excitement that he Mm. has of you know maybe you don't hit it over the the fence but you start to recognize hold on i'm i'm starting to learn these pitches i'm starting to get better and so even though you got struck out you can still start to notice the little victories you know i got a piece of that one and that can be a really cool moment it is a very cool moment when you do it psychologically and you're like i'm on the verge of learning how to beat satan yeah I'm actually working with a guy right now who's at that stage and he is fired up. He's all, I've been losing battles. I'm 31 years old and I've been losing battles since I was 11. My wife cries, my three kids, I have to leave them for days sometimes because I'm too scary. And he's all, I can beat this. (sighs) If I can get a Nick, I can get my wife back full time. My kids will want me back in the house. I'm going to get this. That's so cool. Oh, it's so thrilling to watch. Oh, man. Now, granted, he's been going to the batting cages. He's been doing his right. work. So he's not just sitting there. The, uh, those who have athletic backgrounds often have an advantage. This guy has a long background in basketball. So he understands the concept of exercising workouts. So we're going to give you guys a small workout tool to use to get you started. But again, you're going to have to get more training than just a little bit of a workout. So we need to talk about what a level one is. Yeah, level one. Most this is when a guy says, "Does every guy ever jump right to level two? Like, isn't that like common?" I'm all, no. We all go through level one, but it's so subtle you might not even see it. Here's how you can tell. So let me give you your homework assignment so that you can, because it'll make it make more sense. 
you get a chart, a little piece of paper, and you cut it into three columns. You put a zero above one column, you put a one above the next column, and you put a two above the next column. Now, this is called a discernment exercise in order to help you gain the spirit of discernment. And you can cheat by calling up the Holy Ghost and saying, hey, help me get the spirit of discernment. <laughs> and I have seen guys learn it faster if they do that. So you start by describing yourself at level zero. Now, if you don't know what level zero is yet, this is you at your best, possibly even better than your best, because I've interviewed some guys, they go, now that you've described it, I realize I'm like hardly ever at level zero. <laughs> I'm all, think back to the last time you just felt a surge of charity and creative love for making other people's lives better. They're like, I got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have no memory of ever having that feeling. This is more common with teenagers. Most adult men have had at least one mature thought in their lives. Anyone who's been on a mission might have experienced this. So I have you them describe, and sometimes I have to like use a different reference. Like, let's talk about sports. You ever felt like you're in the zone? Like, yeah, I'm all, it's the same thing. They're like, oh, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> I get that. Now I get it. So on level zero, just start describing yourself at your best. For me, I can tell I'm at a level zero when I am creative. I'm thinking of creative solutions to things. I have compassion for people because I'm not naturally compassionate. As weird as that may sound for a therapist. I have energy to be empathetic because that takes energy for me to be empathetic. I can actually think, what is my wife going through right now? And how can I be sensitive to whatever she's experiencing? I can actually um, be conscientious about what's going on around me. Like I can walk through a store and see what other people need instead of what I always want. So 1 Corinthians 13 is the best checklist for level zero. Then switch over to category number two and describe yourself when you're influenced by an unfortunate mood. So in man language, describe yourself when you're a butthead. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I'm walking around angry. I'm walking around agitated. I'm walking around frustrated. Everything ticks I'm me walking, off. Everything ticks me off. Yeah. Um, or I'm scared of everything or I'm worried or I'm lazy like a sloth. I just want to ooze into the cracks of the couch. I don't want anyone telling me to do anything. Ask me if that woman, if she says one thing, could you help? No, mm -mm. no, no, no. All right. So now describe yourself at level two. Some guys are like, I have like seven versions of a level two. I got my angry version. I got my lazy version. Yep. Now level one is easily discerned. Well, with practice of that space in between those places. Most men describe it as being off. Yep. Something's off. I'm off. I'm not in a bad mood yet. I'm just off. Like, I just don't feel like being creative right now. I'm not in a bad mood. I just don't feel like being creative right now. I can see that, oh, that lady over there, she might be having a bad day. So I'm just going to kind of avoid her. Don't need to talk to her. Just going to kind of go this other direction. Hope someone else is there for her. You can tell the wife's had a long day and you kind of turn the other direction and good luck with that. <laughs> oh, man, I'm not, 
I'm not being mean. I just, you know, I'm just not quite up to speed on trying to be there for her right now. I'm not, I'm not bad mood. I just okay. don't have the energy to do it. Yeah. Dad, come read a book to us. Yeah, I got to mow the lawn. <laughs> and you go get a lawn chair out and you sit on the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? I'm uh, monitoring the weeds in the yard. Not sinning, not doing anything bad. So what I have my clients do is I'll have them get familiar with all three and then I'll start speeding it up and I'll have them tell me, okay, zero, tell me what that feels like. Now tell me two, now one, back to two, back to zero, one, zero, two, one, zero. And they're like, ah, slow down. I'll go, okay, we can slow down. Let's do it again. But I'll just keep pushing them back and forth between the different levels until they go, okay, I'm catching on. Now, by the way, in the average human male, getting good at this takes at least a month of practicing it for about three to five minutes a day. I was talking to a teenage boy earlier today, and I said, you have a major advantage with your sports background. He says, why is that? I says, because you're a skateboarder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I says, how many times do you have to practice a stunt before you get it right? He's all 50 maybe 60. Do you expect to get it right within the first four tries? He's all, that's dumb. <laughs> you can't get a skateboard stunt done in less than 50 tries. I'm all, well, I have adult men who they try five times to understand their brain chemistry and then they quit. He's all, you're kidding me. You're kidding. And then they try to tell me after a week, I tried your homework assignment and it didn't work. And I go, how many times? Like four. When you've tried it 50 times, Tell me whether or not it works. And then you're going to have to keep doing it like batting practice in baseball. Coach, I did batting practice for the first three months of the season. I'm good. I don't need to do it anymore. I hope that gives you a good introduction to the chemical skill, the psychology behind it, the chemical process. So each time Satan says something to us, he's intentionally trying to walk us down from a zero to a one, from a one to a two from a two to a three, three to four, four to five, until your brain shuts off and you behave contrary to your value system. The book, Like Dragons, Do They Fight? will walk you through this carefully. And if you have any type of behavior that you really are concerned about, if it's of a sexual nature, men of Moroni or sons of human or daughters of light or warrior women of light will help you with that. Or we have carefully designed something called the Eternal Warriors Training System for all other issues. Now, we are coming out with the financial self-mastery training system that takes this entire concept for those who keep misbehaving according to their value systems around money. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're just getting that started. And then uh, a few months later, we're going to have the emotional self-mastery system primarily with anger for people who are scaring and hurting people too much with their anger. I, I might need to uh, edit out the whole uh, financial one because if my wife hears that, she's going <laughs> to sign me up for it. Oh, she will. We're expecting that to grow faster than men of Moroni. Cameron, stop spending money. Stop, stop investing in stocks that fail. <laughs> but babe, it's a good idea. I did I, my irrational conversation. <laughs> I'm going to get it this time. All right, well, is there anything important that I missed, Cameron? I, I don't think so. I, I, I'm just really grateful to have your understanding of that. I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're the genius behind it and it's just, it's such a cool and 
just easy to understand way of understanding what's going on when you just start falling apart. My wife regularly um, points out to me when something is off and not that I rely on that. Just when I am in those battles, she's very quick to be like, "Is, is something going on? Because I snap at the kids. I'm not motivated to get any work done. I just mm-hmm. want to sit down on my phone and numb out. And, mm-hmm. and and she notices that. And she goes, is something going on? And that's one of my biggest triggers. Not that we should be relying on our wives to point out when we are having that. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great extra, um, um, yeah. what do they call it in the military? A secondary alarm system. Yeah. I totally support secondary alarm systems. <laughs> And I, I love my secondary alarm system. It's pretty amazing. So <laughs> as long as you respect it and appreciate it. Oh, very much. What would happen if she decides not to set off alarms and she just stays quiet while the alligators eat you? That'd, that'd be bad. That'd be bad. Well, Why didn't you send me alarm? Okay. Yeah. Um, is there, I guess the, the last thing that I, I would love to ask is uh, what would your what would your testimony of hope be to those that are listening uh, and, and are struggling and maybe feeling kind of hopeless and doubt their capabilities of change? What would you say to them uh, to send us off? One of the most um, common satanic attacks that I observe in people is an imaginary phobia of what it would be like to work with fellow warriors. Every time I've interviewed someone, it's almost every time I talk to new clients and I ask them, what do you imagine it would be like to sit in a room with other fellow warriors? And they always describe it inaccurately with a whole fascinating level of fear that has no logic behind it because they've never even been to one of the trainings. Your hope will increase when you see the hope and power that other warriors experience. Mm. And once you taste that, we have an open enrollment system where there's only one new guy at a time so that he can be introduced to a handful of other guys that are already winning, that are already using the principles correctly. So you're not in a room full of a bunch of guys who are feeling confused and awkward. You step right into a space of success and power. I can give you a a little tiny taste of the hope, but it's in that moment that your hope really gets big because now you're seeing it with your own eyes this can be done and you'll be skeptical at first because you're going well they must not have had a problem as bad as mine or maybe their lives are not as complicated as mine so maybe they just don't get it and then you meet a guy that's not as smart as you who's winning who has more catastrophes in his life than you do but he's winning who has bipolar adhd and two other comorbid conditions and he's winning And you're like, you're kidding. I get that most of our people are kind of like that father in the New Testament who had already tried everything to help his son. And he just had logical reasons to give up hope. But he showed up with his son at the feet of Christ. And he said, I'm sorry, sir, but I just don't believe you can do what they say you can do. And Christ's response was, never before have I seen such great faith. And I believe the father's response was, what are you talking about? I just told you I don't have faith. And Christ's response was something like, you showed up. Hmm. That is an act of faith. And so, brethren, 
fellow warriors, I challenge you, just show up once. I tell the guys who I interview for the first time, come once, and if you aren't inspired by it, don't ever come back. That happens one out of a thousand times. Because the brotherhood, the hope, finally some logic combined with spiritual power, combined with things I can actually do with my man brain. Finally, something a man brain can do. And that's what builds the hope. And that's what leads to the success. So I'm grateful. And let me make clear that I am not the creator of any of these principles. I am a gold miner and I found them. They have existed throughout eternity. They are not mine. I just uncovered them and put them where people can use them. So I have no copyright on anything that I do. You can share, you can give it away. You can even tell people you came up with it if you really want to. <laughs> but my job is to distribute it as fast as possible and to train people. Okay. Because we found what works. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was, that was amazing. Um, it's a pleasure. And Make sure you let me know when it goes published so I can get it all to everyone. Our social media, Facebook now has 54,000 followers. Our Instagram population is growing. Our bishops list is growing and the bishops love to have things like this that they can share with their people. Yeah, so give absolutely. me the links as soon as it's ready to go so I can get it out to everybody. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just love that you pointed out, you know, to just show up. Um, and and I, I believe that exists in more ways than just showing up to a meeting. Uh, I think we can just take that chance of just trying to show up for our spouses, to just show up for our friends, to just show up for ourselves. I think if we will take that risk and that challenge, it will make a huge difference in our lives. For all you listeners, there, yeah. is, there is always a, a, a greater potential and a greater you that is possible out there and the point of this podcast and the point of having maurice on here and the point of all this content is to recover that person that is why we call this recovering you because we know the divine potential that exists within each and every one of you thank you so much for joining us uh we hope you enjoyed this don't forget to like this to share it to help spread the word like what maurice was saying and, you know, no, no more shame. Let's, let's make this an open dialogue and let's change the world. So we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for your work, Cameron. You're a Thank difference you. maker. Thanks.